Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. I have run for public office three times in the state of Michigan, and I am a three-time loser. I, I guess society's not ready to elect a Baptist preacher, but we'll keep trying, amen? It's so sad what's going on in the world today. It is frustrating to be an American, to be a conservative, to be a Christian, and um, a lot of times people will counter the truth of the gospel and the beauty of God, and they'll say, where is the justice, right? We've got no justice, no peace is something that's always shouted. And uh, beloved, God will have his vengeance, and there'll be a day called the great white throne judgment where there'll be absolute justice. The nations that forget and reject God and that have treated him and his people badly uh, will be set aside. And the justice for us is those that have been faithful and that have maybe even been persecuted or suffered for him and stood for him. Why, we won't have to be at the great white throne judgment <laughs> because we will already have been at the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ and received great rewards in him. And so one thing we can never do is doubt God. Never doubt God, even today. God is at work. It's interesting about the great white throne judgment in that um, the, uh, the, the day that the Hamas attacked Israel in such a gruesome fashion was the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, exactly 50 years after the 1973 Yom Kippur War, not necessarily a jubilee year, but a jubilee of years in between the first action and this hopefully last action. But then the very next day, Sunday, was Shemini Atzeret, which in the Bible is called the Great Day. And it is a picture of the great white throne judgment. And Hamas was telling Israel something. And it, Hamas was saying, this is your judgment day. But beloved, Hamas is in for something at the great white throne judgment because God will say, no, this is your judgment day. So preacher, you can use that Sunday if, if you want, okay? <laughs> All right. Well, what a blessing to be here. My wife is sitting over here and um, she is the much, much better part of me. And um, we have been married 32 years. We have five sons and now five daughter-in-laws. They've all been colleged and they all have children and they all are homeowners and they all are working. And what a blessing to be just me and Amy again. Hallelujah. It's been about four or five years and we're getting, we're getting really used to it. It's great. And uh, the grandkids are fantastic. And uh, I'll tell you, she is the best Christian I have ever known, truly. And so I hope to get to know some of you. I've got to know a number of you through the years of being here, but I want you to know the best uh, part of my life here. Make sure that you know Amy as well. Thank you, Pastor, Miss Karen, for a good fellowship today. We really enjoyed uh, you guys. And you know, God has done great things here generationally. You make it look easy. I know it's not easy, but we give God the glory because he's the one uh, that's doing it. We have pastored in Michigan uh, for the whole time of our marriage, and we're able to plant the Emmanuel Baptist Church in Corona, Michigan, and uh, start a Christian school, and then ultimately end up hosting the Michigan Association of Christian Schools. And so both statewide and nationally, we've been very involved in Christian education, and so we love your guys' school here in college, and it's a blessing to be over at the college and with all the college students 
And there's so much vibrancy and life there. And they're from all around the world. And it's such a blessing to be teaching them. I'm getting to teach the old man classes now. Leviticus <laughs> and the Masoretic text. But um, I told the, the ministerial students in there, we are going to make this class like a roller coaster. And we have had a great time in Leviticus and next week in the Masoretic text. So it's going to be fantastic. Well, the message I'm going to preach to you tonight is one that I started this morning in chapel. And it's from the book of Philippians and chapter 3, verse 10. You'll have to forgive me. It was about three months ago that I suffered a, a stroke. And just for the last three days, I've been able to wear glasses and take the patch off my eye. Hallelujah. And, um, but I still have to use specialty glasses and specialty magnifiers. And um, so just forgive me for looking goofy up here. Okay. In that. Chapter 3, verse 10, the Apostle Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. I want to preach to you tonight on the fellowship of his sufferings. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the saints gathered tonight. What a joy to be with the faithful folks that would come out on a Wednesday night, sing your praises, pray for needs participate in ministries. And so, Lord, I pray that the voice of your word would speak to us tonight, that you'd encourage us and enrich us. I don't know what people's difficulties are tonight. They don't know what mine are, but Father, we know that you can take care of us. The Apostle Paul had incredible, overwhelmingly difficult people and difficulties in his life, and yet he prayed for, he asked for the understanding to have your fellowship, the fellowship of your sufferings. And so I pray that you would help us with this tonight. You would teach us new things and that we'd go from this place with new tools uh, to fight the good fight of faith. We do pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I pray for all the activities going on here the next couple of weeks. We pray that souls would be saved. And Father, you promised to bless those that bless Israel. And so bless this church and these folks. In Jesus' name, amen. Now this morning we were talking about the power of the resurrection. Paul in the previous verses has said that he was an Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, circumcised the eighth day, zealous concerning the law, perfect concerning the law, zealous according to good works. He even persecuted the church. And so he's showing his credentials as being someone who was perfect according uh, to the law. He was not a Sadducee. The Sadducees were a leftover of a bygone era, although they were still in charge that day. They did not believe in the supernatural. They did not believe in the concept of the resurrection of the dead. The Pharisees, whatever their problems, did believe in the word of God. Paul, as a Pharisee, would have known the book of Leviticus that I'm teaching about this week. He would have saw the supernatural uh, in it. And... He would have known through the Old Testament about the different testimonies of people who had died and were raised from the dead. Did you know there's about a dozen accounts other than Jesus of people in the Bible, Old Testament and New, who had been raised from the dead? Now, none of them raised themselves from the dead. 
Jesus said, I lay myself down and I raise myself back up again. That's only Jesus. We're not Jesus. We don't want to be Jesus. We could never be Jesus. We're glad to get in line and serve Jesus. Amen. But Paul knew this was possible. Remember, it was the risen Jesus that called his name on the road to Damascus. And it was the risen Jesus that trained him in the desert in Arabia for years. So he knew of this truth. He read of it in the Old Testament. We looked at the widow of Zarephath's son, whom Elijah ended up praying for and was raised from the dead. We looked in the New Testament at that wonderful servant, Tabitha Dorcas was her name, who the women loved for her charity and for her skilled workmanship and whom Peter came in and and prayed to God and, and said, Tabitha, arise, and she sat up. And so there's a a number of these wonderful testimonies in in the Bible, and they're there for us to learn from. There are practical lessons from looking at these people who were dead, who experienced both death and ethereal life, and came back from the dead only by the power of God through some servant of God's uh, permission of God to do so. And then they had a new perspective of life. I, had, I was dead and now I'm alive. Nothing can make me afraid of death anymore. Uh, I, I believe in God and, and the enemies of God don't make me afraid anymore. I'm going to tell people about God and I'm going to tell people about Jesus. Can you imagine being Lazarus? Someone who, if the story's true, was a, was a very sick man. He had illnesses. Whose sisters probably overpowered him. <laughs> in family terms, who, who wasn't a rich man, but probably a poor man. And he died and Jesus wept. <laughs> and the Bible says that Jesus loved him. And Jesus said, Lazarus, rise up. And Lazarus rose from the dead. And don't you know that he did not live the rest of his life the way he had lived the previous part of his life? He lived victorious. He no longer took any guff from his sisters. Amen. He no longer worried about the pennies. He no longer worried about the judgment and the looks and people looking down on him and what they would have thought of him. In fact, the Bible says that the Jews were as afraid of Lazarus as they were of Jesus. They thought to kill, they sought to kill Lazarus the same way they sought to kill Jesus. You see, his life had become as effervescent and as beautiful and as attractive as Jesus had become. People wanted to hear what it was all about. They wanted to hear what the truth was. And I'm sure Lazarus told the story and everyone was convinced that he was telling the truth. But his life was also as repelling as Jesus's was to some people. Have you ever met someone like this? Somebody that's, that's so walking with the Lord It's as though they've risen from the dead. And that's what Paul said, that I may know him. He he traded all his resume of goodness. He cast it all away as like dung, he says, for for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He didn't want that righteousness. He wanted the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he knew that and he had that. But then he asks for this, that I may know him. I want to know him more intimately. I want to know 
his power. I want to know he, how he loves his enemies. I want to know how he loved me even though I was persecuting Christians. I want to know how he could for, forgive people who would revile him. I, I want to understand this, this power of the resurrection. I want to not be afraid. I want to not care what people think. I want to know this power. And I was able to preach to the college students this morning that, beloved, when you're saved and you have the presence of God in the Holy Ghost, in the Holy Spirit in you, that that is the power of the resurrection. When the Lord decides, when, when uh, uh, Michael's going to stand up and, and uh, God's going to blow his trumpet and there's going to be a shout from heaven, what is the element that's going to make you be raptured and someone else not be raptured? What, what is it that, that God's going to look at? What is it that God's going to see? What is it that you have that someone else doesn't have? And the answer is him. He is the power of the resurrection. We can know that intellectually, but most of us don't live out that truth. We don't live like Lazarus. We don't live risen. We live under the circumstances sometimes and in fear. But Paul said that I, I want to know this. And you know, Paul went on to suffer so many things, didn't he? And yet he went unafraid. And you have in you right now the power of the resurrection. You were thinking, you were thinking, I know some of you, there's some gray hair out here. Some of you were thinking, yeah, I'm not afraid of death because I know that I'll have the resurrection one day. Some of you are waiting for your death in order to experience resurrection. That's a waste of time. Do you realize that? Yes, it's true that you don't have to fear death. And when you close your eyes in death, that somehow, some way, soon after that, the dead in Christ will rise first. Yes, that's true. And you'll have life everlasting and it will be fantastic. But beloved, you don't have to wait till you die to have resurrection power. You have it today. You have resurrection power right now. Live risen. But there's another part of the prayer. Paul wanted to, to have that. He wanted to function with that sort of power in his ministry. But he said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And I think this is even the braver part of the expectation or want. That I may know the fellowship of his sufferings. How many have ever prayed, oh man, I'd like to suffer some more. Lord, give me another plate of suffering. Right? I just got off the suffering bed. I'm not looking for that or praying for that. Maybe I understand it a little bit. I have a book table out here with some books on it. One of them is called Resurrection Power, Live Risen. I haven't written the suffering part yet. Maybe that's what I'm getting ready to do. I don't know. I hope not. I don't want God to call me to write a book on suffering. It's going to mean I'm going to have to experience some more or something. But that's what, that's what Paul must have known that he would have to go through. You know why he knew he'd have to go through that? Because he knew there was other people as zealous as he was. When you read the Pauline writings, there's so many little instances where you see Paul is writing that statement, but he's thinking about the day that he held the garments of Stephen. It's all through the Pauline writings. That never left him. He's saying, God, I, 
I want to be like Stephen was. I, I, I've never forgot him. He was able to get up and speak with such oratory and such power and so convincing. And, and it's though he was looking up into heaven and, and seeing you himself. And the Bible says Stephen really was. Stephen was living risen before he was dead. And Paul had seen that and he said, that's what I want. I want to have that kind of power. Stephen comes and goes and we don't think much of him, but he played on Paul's heart and ministry and writings and this prayer. I want that. The power of the resurrection. And I want the fellowship of his sufferings. Lord, I want to, I want to be able to die like that. Stephen did not beg for his life. Stephen did not try to barter himself out of it. Stephen did not compromise. Stephen was ready for that. And when the day stood, he, he was like a man of God. He stood up like the men of God of old. And he took what he had coming. And he saw the light of heaven. And he, he didn't just die that martyrdom. He lived that martyrdom. And that affected Paul. Beloved, we might be in that day closer than we think. I'd like to think that, that it's all just good and then the rapture happens. Yay. Grandkids, mama's cooking, you know, all that. But things are getting dark. Who knows? Things are changing overnight. Who knows? All that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Hebrews eleven twenty two through 40 I think is Pauline, and he's giving that list of all these people that suffered. The list of people that he says, the world was not worthy of them. Hebrews 11 is about the heroes of the faith and all the things that they did by faith. But then it also lists a number of people that suffered by faith and that died by faith. I think about in that list is those sawn asunder. I mean, if someone came up here and said, okay, this is what's going to happen to you now, Doug. I wonder if I could take that. Tradition says that that's what, how Isaiah died. That, that Isaiah was put into a log and then sawn asunder. I mean, really watching it happen. Are you serious? This is really happening? <laughs> and then to go through it and then to endure it and the whole time say, Lord, this is nothing. This is for you. Paul had read about these things in the Old Testament. That's why he wrote them. And he said, I want to know the power of the resurrection that can make me like that. And I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings that can prepare me for something like that. I asked the college students, are you tired of your own Christian mediocrity? Are you tired of half-hearted devotions? Are you tired of checking off the box of attending church, but not necessarily coming with expectation? Or responding with hope and will. Pray this prayer. For the power of his resurrection. And for the fellowship of his sufferings. Because who's the fellowship with? It's with Isaiah. And it's with the men of old. And it's with Stephen. And it's with Paul. But it's also with Jesus. He said I want the fellowship of his sufferings. Will you suffer for Jesus if necessary? I know that's in your life a little bit. And if it's not today, it might be tomorrow. <laughs> Will you stand to endure the stones along with the blessings that come with his name? Let's look at three things. Number one, physical sufferings. 
physical sufferings. The Bible says that Jesus was slapped. His beard was ripped. He suffered a crown of thorns. He was spit upon. He was whipped. He was force marched. They put a heavy crossbeam of the cross upon him. He was slave labored. He was nailed to that cross. He was hung, stripped naked, and speared through. And for a God to incarnate and become a man and even just suffer hot and cold, hunger and thirst, weeping and loss would be enough for me. But Jesus went through all the worst physical sufferings you could possibly suffer. Now, those of us that are down here with the curse of sin as human beings, we also then have to suffer the physical sufferings of aging. I always, as a pastor, heard the old folks in the church say, aging is not for sissies. And I thought, now get over it. <laughs> well, I'm getting there. <laughs> I'm getting there. My wife and I just laugh at another. We, we meet up in the morning and say, how'd you sleep? <laughs> Amen. I mean, it's a thing. It's a thing, right? Paul in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty five. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. I was stoned. I was shipwrecked three times, day and night in the deep, in journeyings off, in perils of waters, of robbers, of my own countrymen, by the heathen, in the city, in the wilderness, in the sea, by false brethren, in weariness and in painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and in thirst, in fastings often, in cold, in coldness and in nakedness. And besides all this, daily the care of the churches. From being a pastor, God has allowed me the last seven years to travel to 20, I think 29 states and provinces and over 250 churches. And I always thought the burden of the pastorate was heavy, but ministering to pastors and seeing other churches is both a blessing and a burden. Paul had that. And he must have realized this must be what Jesus feels like. You know, the Laodicean age switches us around, neither hot nor cold, and he spews us out of his mouth. Jesus had great physical sufferings. He was willing to suffer it all for us. And Paul wanted to know if he could have that fellowship with Jesus. Could I look across at Jesus and Jesus just give me the nod and the wink? I know, Paul. I've been there. Verse 30, he says, I will glory in things which concern my infirmities. Something far worse than physical sufferings is psychological sufferings. Sufferings of the, of the psyche, of the soul, of the mind. Jesus suffered these when Thomas said, I'm not going to believe it till I see him. Till I see his hands. And Jesus came and said, Thomas, look. Here's my nail-pierced hands. It's me. I'm alive. And Thomas fell down and said, my Lord and my God. Now, we'd have thought maybe Jesus was happy at that point. Hey, good job, Thomas. But, you know, he probably thought, Thomas, why, why'd I have to do that? Why didn't you just believe the report? Didn't I tell you that was going to happen? Peter, good friend Peter, keys to the kingdom Peter, actually denied Jesus. When they came with swords and spears, Peter borrowed a sword and cut off a dude's ear. He was a manly man, a fisherman. 
But when faced with a little girl's accusation, he denied Jesus. Now, I think Jesus is God and King of Kings and knowing all, but still, these were his chosen 12 that doubted him, that denied him. What disrespect, what disappointment. And then there was Judas. Judas kissed him, but betrayed him. Beloved, if you serve God very long, can I tell you, you're going to have doubters, you're going to have deniers, and you're going to have betrayers. Welcome to the ministry. Paul experienced that, didn't he? Demas hath forsaken me, he said. Jesus was accused by the devil. I, you see, I'd say, devil, I made you, <laughs> right? But Jesus just kept the plan, kept his cool. Psychological suffering. He could have called 10,000 angels. Men called him a devil. Criminals called him a criminal. You'll be accused and have to suffer the psychological pain of that. He was mocked. Oh, the king of the Jews. Oh, savior, you save others. Why don't you save yourself? He was mocked even as God. Paul spent years in jails. I was teasing brother John about being with Paul in the jail ministry. <laughs> and he said, he wrote when he was in the jails, none stood with me. I've pastored and counseled a lot of people with a lot of psychological pain. And I don't know if there's any pain as painful as loneliness. Beloved, if somebody offered you some booze or some drugs, you probably as a Wednesday night crowd would be strong enough to say, I'm not going to do that. But so often the world, the flesh and the devil will offer us disappointment, discouragement, psychological pain and trauma, maybe even loneliness. And we'll drink that in. Every country song is about being lonely, right? You're doing yourself psychological damage <laughs> by, you know, I think I'm lonely. I think I'm going to listen to some country songs. That's just not good medicine, right? Uh, Paul knew and witnessed what Stephen must have suffered alone and, and wondered, I, I, wish, I wonder if I can handle the fellowship of that suffering. And then probably the worst suffering all is spiritual suffering. Maybe you've suffered physically. Maybe you've suffered some psychologically. But if you're going to serve God, you're, you're going to encounter the devil himself. You're going to encounter a spiritual resistance. The devil will come against you. Jesus in the garden prayed, if there be any other way. Now, there wasn't any other way. Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, before anything, decided this is the plan and we're doing it. But he prayed it nonetheless because it was so unfathomable that he would have to separate himself from his Father and become sin for us. Isaiah 53, who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed. It goes on to say him, him, he, he, he was despised. He took our iniquities. 
right? That was Jesus. The Godhead, God is the head, but he has an arm and that arm is Jesus. God from heaven and celestial without, without leaving his throne, still being God, he extended his arm through the incarnation of Jesus, through the virgin birth. And Jesus was altogether God. I worked on a fishing boat for years up in Alaska and you work for weeks, your hands get raw because of salt water. There's not a lot of fresh water on a boat, just enough to drink, cook with, none to bathe with. It's actually quite horrible. <laughs> but you know, if you stick your arm in salt water for a week, it'll probably fall off. It'll probably fall off. Your arm's not made for that. It'll, all kinds of things will happen and you'll end up getting poisoning and it'll sicken you. God's put his human arm from the celestial into the earthly, into the soup and morass of sin. And he reached it out to us. Here at Quinton Road, we know that that's grace and we just accept it by faith, right? That's salvation. But what did we do? We, we nailed it to the cross. And, the, and Isaiah 53 says, and God cut it off. God cut his arm off because that was the plan. Jesus said, for God so loved the world, cosmos. That's all the people, but it's the plan. The, the cosmological plan. The reason I made creation, the reason why it's going to go the way it does, the reason why it'll end one day is because we decided we want a bride. We don't need one, but we're going to have one. We're going to make this thing, John 17, that we can be one with, that we can love with as we love ourselves. What a plan. And Jesus was here to execute it as the arm. But the arm being dead stood itself back up, ascended to the Father, showed itself its glory. It's a great way to explain the Trinity to a Jew or to a Muslim. Jesus prayed. The Bible says he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. Could you imagine the, the labor of such a prayer to sweat, as it were, great drops of blood? I didn't really know what this meant until my wife had some of our children. And I, at the end of the period of labor and the child is born, saw all the blood vessels in her face and in her arms and in her neck. And they were burst. And it was as though even her sweat was as blood. And I asked the nurse about that. And they said, yeah, that, that's, it's intense, intense labor. And I, and I came to this that so that I could be born again, Jesus, sweat as it were, great drops of blood. And Paul's saying, I want to labor like that for Jesus. I want to labor like that for Jesus. Oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection so that I could live risen and not be afraid. And so that I could stand with Stephen and others and I could have the fellowship of his sufferings. Jesus cried on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He knew why. That was Psalm 22. He was telling us to go to Psalm 22. He was preaching his own gospel sermon. He cried, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, how many times I wanted to come to you, but you rejected me. He showed up and they shouted, Hosanna. And the very next day they shouted, crucify him. Can I tell you, that story is happening today. 
The story of Jerusalem and redemption is happening today. When the rapture happens and the tribulation starts, it will be the time of Jacob's trouble. And it will be for the purpose of Jacob's salvation. And 144,000 Jews will be marked evangelists and preach. And even though it will be ugly for Israel, so many Jews will have revival. So many will be saved. And the millennial reign is the promise of God from all the way back in the book of Leviticus that he would be their God and they would be his nation. Beloved, you and I will come back. The after party is fantastic. You think the rapture's good. The after party is fantastic. Because we come as immortals back with him to rule with our, to rule with God uh, on earth with our human brothers who have made it through and been saved by God's plan. Woo. That's a good plan. You're looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Beloved, it's that good. It's better than any Marvel movie. Jesus descended into the abode of death, set the captives free. He became sin for us, the unfathomable, so that he could set, kick open the gates, and the gates of hell could not prevail against the church. Paul had similar spiritual suffering. He had to, he had to fight with Peter in the council of Jerusalem on whether or not Gentiles could be saved and baptized and join the church. And aren't you glad they worked that out and said yes? Amen? I mean, most of us are Gentiles. I'm glad they worked that one out in Jerusalem. He, he had to fight with uh, the saints. Some of you say you're of Cephas and some of Apollos and some of Paul. And then he said, shame on you for that. In the next chapter, he said, remember who you're from. I'm Paul. <laughs> right? But he had to, he had to fight with the, the, the beloved and the believers. You know, your pastor's made to go to a public forum, a government forum. He's made for that. He's a preacher's kid. He, he, was, he was formed and made to do that, to stand with Israel and those things. You know what's hard? You know what's spiritual suffering? When the brethren come against you. When those in your own church are having conflict with. That's, that's some spiritual suffering. Paul had to fight with his servants, John Mark. John Mark, you're being a baby. Go home. And Barnabas said, no, he's coming with me. And Paul said, okay, well, then we'll just have to part ways. You take Mark and I'll take Silas, right? And this is a real spiritual suffering with the saints. Ultimately, Paul was praying this because he knew there'd be the day that even though he had multiple opportunities to save himself and to reverse course, he went to Rome, to the very household of Caesar, and though there were options to live on his own and to not take it all the way, he took it all the way, probably even before Nero, an antichrist. But he took no mark from that evil one. And tradition tells us that Paul suffered martyrdom, probably as bad, if not worse, than what Stephen had suffered. Paul seen that great testimony of that one who had the power of the resurrection and who had the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings and that never left him. It never left his writings. And he says, that's what I want. 
that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. Something we have right now, but also something we have right now is right now we have the fellowship of his sufferings. There was a football coach that, whose team lost 54 to nothing. Can you imagine the halftime speech there? Guys, I, I don't know what to tell you. We're not going to win this one. <laughs> Guys, I don't know what to tell you, but you're going to have to go out there and get beat up for a whole nother half. <laughs> right? This is going to be ugly, but you're going to have to go out there and not quit and suffer and do all that. And they come in at the end of the game, 54 to nothing. Everyone's dirty. Everyone's sweaty. Everyone's sour. Every, there's people bleeding. There's broken arms and everything. And they all come in and they take off their helmets and their heads are down. And what a lambasting. What a suffering. And the coach laughed. And he laughed until some of the other guys laughed. And they laughed until everybody in the locker room was laughing. And he said, well, we learned something about ourselves today. We, we learned that we can lose. We, we learned that we can take a beating. And he said, guys, I want you to look to the guy on your left. I want you to look to the guy on the right. I want you to tell him you love him and that you fought and gave your best for them. And they did that. Amen. It wasn't a story of victory. It was a story of the fellowship of suffering. Those guys looked at each other and they knew I took a beating for you and you took a beating for me. And don't you know that team was going to be a force to be dealt with after that. They already knew how to do that, but they had in that learned how to fight and even win for each other. You know what that great at the judgment seat of Christ, there will be reprieve for us. And at the great white throne judgment, there will be justice for Israel and for us and for everybody else. But in the meantime, we have to live in this imperfect world. And God, we want it. We want our ministry to be potent, not mediocre. God, that I may know you and the power of your resurrection to live as one risen from the dead. But also, Lord, to be able to have that locker room wink and nod, having suffered like you did, having suffered like the saints did, and knowing that we have fellowship. I look out at you today and I think, my brothers and sisters in Christ, you have the same power of the resurrection that I do. But we also might have to share the fellowship of his sufferings. It would be great, Pastor Scudder, if when that day come, came and my knees were, were knocking and the guillotine was waiting for me and I was thinking about how could I get out of this, brother, that you looked me and gave me the wink and the nod. And God gave you the strength to have the fellowship of his sufferings and how that might strengthen me to be able to go ahead. I'd hope that I would have the strength for you to be able to go ahead and suffer for Jesus. That means suffer uh, unfairly, unjustly, like Stephen, like Jesus, like Paul. Now I realize this is not a rah rah sis boom bah message. That was this morning in chapel, and you missed it, okay? And I tried to preface that for you so you could all have a little bit of rah-rah, boom bah. But beloved, as adults, as a Wednesday night crowd, we also know sometimes when you spend in a lifetime together doing ministry, there's ups and there's downs. And the power of the resurrection is great. Hopefully, you're going to have that the next couple Sundays. But then eventually, you have those Sundays where... It's together the fellowship of his sufferings. And can I tell you something? It's equally as sweet and equally as potent. And God is equally there. 
and maybe even more so to give you the wink and the nod. Now, beloved, there are Christians in Jerusalem on the Israeli side that are suffering, and there are Christians on the Arab side that are suffering as well. And they have to fight off all the extreme rhetoric of either side and try to be Christian, that they might know the power of the resurrection and that they might know the fellowship of his sufferings. And they're taking the lead right now. We need to pray for all of them. But this is a message for you. You don't know all my sufferings and I don't know all your sufferings. They're physical, they're psychological, they're spiritual, and sometimes they're horrible. But just remember that that's what Paul wanted and it got him through that day. I don't know what that day was like, but it got him through that day when he had to stand there. And might that, when that day comes, we remember that I may know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. Maybe we'll be alone when that happens and it'll be horrible, but we can look up and give a wink and a nod and know, Lord, I'm, I'm with you in the fellowship of your sufferings. I'm willing to do that.